And so, gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the reflections of our hearts and minds in these moments be found pleasing in your sight, our God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Friends, if you've been able to join us for any of the past few weeks as we've explored the encounters that people have had with Jesus in John's Gospel, the impact that it has on their lives, you'll see how Jesus changes everything. And at the same time, these encounters are so very ordinary. He transforms lives and gives hope and healing and purpose and passion to those that he meets. But all the time, Jesus walks humbly, eating and talking with people, feet firmly planted on the ground, showing people how to find the indescribable truths of God in the midst of their daily lives. And our passage from John 9 this morning is no different. As it begins, Jesus is walking along. We read at the end of John 8 that Jesus and his disciples have had uh, a difficult discussion with the religious leaders in the temple. So it's unlikely that this is sort of a general potter, a meander around town. This is uh, a difficult walk away from a difficult conversation. But on the walk, Jesus meets a man who is blind. And Jesus is moved by this uh, unwanted beggar who's been excluded from society. Might there be some sort of connection between the way Jesus has felt marginalised and excluded in the preceding verses, or at least perhaps feeling unwanted, and how his heart is moved towards somebody else who's been marginalised by their society and their community? I don't know. But it does seem to be the case that those who are excluded find refuge with others who know that same struggle. And seeing an opportunity to learn or to ask something they've always wanted to know the answer to, the disciples ask Jesus the question that every culture seeks to ask. Why is someone born with a disability? Whose fault is it? Someone must have done something wrong. This must be the punishment. Before we explore this together, I do think it's worth noting here how we see people talking about a person with disability rather than entering into a conversation with them. It's almost as if the man doesn't really matter here. He's no voice, no hopes, no needs of his own. He is just a subject to be discussed. People with disabilities often experience this in a variety of different ways today too. But the question, can a disability be a punishment from God for some sort of secret sin, is one that is asked throughout history. And I think it tells us something about how God is viewed and understood too. If God acts in a quid pro quo, you hurt me so now I'll hurt you sort of a way, then I guess some sort of sin causing this man's blindness would make sense. Or taken the other way, and you'll hear it said that if people have success and wealth and great careers and their family is always exceedingly happy, it's a blessing from God. Whereas failure and broken relationships and bad health are a result of something being wrong in their lives. And I guess thinking like this um, is a way of trying to hold on to some sort of belief in God's justice. 
If something seems unfair, but we believe in a God who is all-powerful and all-loving and all-fair, one way of getting around this problem is to say that it only seems unfair. Actually, it isn't, because there's this thing that's gone on that we don't know about. There must be some secret sin being punished here. But you know, I'd observe that this is the sort of thing that folks who are well-off and well-fed and healthy seem to say more often than those who aren't any of those things. I guess it's easier to think like that if all seems to be well and no one will accuse you of some previous sins causing your problems. Jesus firmly resists this way of thinking, however. The world is stranger and darker than that, and the light of God is more powerful and God's justice shines more brightly than that. Working how, in that case, we piece everything together and try to make sense of it all involves having to stop us seeing the world as a series of moral formulas where a good act and a kind word automatically gets a reward and vice versa. That's not to say, of course, that actions don't have consequences. We know that they do. Good things do often happen as a result of good actions. Kindness produces gratitude, for example. Bad things can happen through bad actions. Drunk driving causing an accident, for example. But this isn't always the case. Sometimes kindness is scorned. Sometimes drunk drivers get away with it. Jesus makes this point too, that this man isn't blind because of something he has done or that his parents have done or that anyone else has done. Instead, Jesus says that this man's blindness will enable the works of God to be displayed in him and in his life. Now, most obviously, that follows in the next verses where Jesus heals the man. But might there also be something that this man's blindness, his disability, his otherness, does in fact enable something of God to be seen that wouldn't be seen otherwise? Is something of God being displayed in his life before Jesus heals him too? Could that be partly what Jesus means? We don't know enough about the man to really know the answer to that. But friends, in my own life, the marginalised people I meet and I know, struggling against the mainstream and the majority ways of understanding and working in the world, they often display a courage and a humility and a commitment to justice and compassion that is not a coincidence to their struggle, but is born in it and from it. Even if we've not directly experienced that sort of struggle, I suspect many of you will be able to identify how your life has been changed and how you've become more like Jesus through times and situations of hardship and difficulty. People with disabilities are, of course, like everybody else. Each person is unique and important, whether their culture, religion, abilities and disabilities may be. Each one has been created by God and for God. Each of us is born so that God's work may be accomplished in us. The whole story reminds me of the words the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not 
to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Now this doesn't mean, of course, that the strong, clever and well-adjusted are not precious to God, but that they must discover how weakness and failure and not being entirely self-sufficient can lead us to God in a new way. Jesus then, again mixing together the profound and miraculous with the ordinary and unspectacular, makes some mud on the ground and puts it on the man's eyes. Jesus then instructs the man to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which the man does. And he comes back to them, and now he is able to see. He is an act of new creation. Here is God's light bursting forth into the world. Here is all things being made new through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is still going about the work of establishing a new world of light and healing. And we're called as his disciples to be part of that ongoing work today. And you know, just like this moment where the man can now see, new creation can often seem puzzling. No one who was there can work out if the man is the same one that they knew before or not. It doesn't quite make sense. They don't quite understand. And it's just like that moment after the resurrection where the disciples wonder, is this really Jesus? This is confusing. We don't understand. Just like that moment where someone decides to follow Jesus and finds their life changed, sometimes in significant ways. And new creation does happen. Lives can be and are still being transformed. God is at work in the world. How does that happen? We only know that it happens through Jesus. And where do we find him? The man at the end of our reading doesn't know the answer. But we know that from here Jesus will travel eventually to the cross, the grave and through to the resurrection ascending to be with the Father and sending us the gift of the Holy Spirit to continue the work of creating a world of light and of healing. It isn't always easy to see how the Spirit is working and new creation often feels chaotic and confusing. Sometimes it'll get more difficult before something new blossoms, the proverbial eggs need to be cracked to get the proverbial omelette. Friends, where is there a bit of holy chaos in your life today? And what might God be wanting to bring to life through it? Friends, where are those who have been ignored and marginalised and excluded? For that is where God's spirit dwells and will do well to listen to their voices even perhaps especially if we don't understand. Friends, where in your life are you running from weakness and shame and struggle? Feeling the need to hide the truth of who you are and what's happening to you. And instead, know that you're invited to come afresh to how God is with you and for you, even if it's tough and nothing makes sense right now. In our Old Testament reading, we heard this vision of Isaiah, of a holy road, a place where joy and gladness are the markings and the road signs, a journey which leads to new life and new strength with each passing step. Isaiah tells us that this road 
is for the redeemed. It's a road that's made possible for each of us, for you, because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who died so that we might be free from sin and all that binds us, and helping us find life in all its fullness. Friends, my prayer today is that you might find yourself travelling that way too. Perhaps you've been on the road for some time. Perhaps you've never taken this route before. Whatever direction your life has taken up until this point, know that God has more for you. It might not be all plain sailing. Perhaps it might even be a little chaotic. But friends, it is good. And it is life itself. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this story in John's account of your life and ministry. And Lord, we thank you for the way in which you are constantly at work, bringing about new life and new creation. Lord, forgive us when we've sought to rationalise and structure what you are doing before it is ready, where we've sought to explain things that we don't really understand. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, give us the courage to sit with mystery and chaos where we find it and where we find you at work through it. And Lord, we pray that we would receive the challenge that these verses give us to receive and welcome and listen to and be friends with those who are disabled and those who are marginalised in our community. Lord, would you help us to get beyond the fear of saying something wrong to the point where it stops us trying at all. And Lord, would you help us to walk that road for the redeemed, to keep putting one step in front of the other, keep seeking to grow in our faith. And Lord, we pray that through all these things, we might see something of your kingdom come amongst us. And this we pray in your name. Amen.